please stand for the reading of God's word. Today's reading comes from Luke, chapter 6, verses 12 through 49. In these days, Jesus went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve, whom he named his apostles, Simon, who he named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James and John, and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who later became a traitor. And he came down with them and stood at a level place, in a great crowd of his disciples, and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem, and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, and those who came to hear him and be healed of their diseases, and those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured, and all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came from him and healed them all. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets." But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. But I say to those who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And for one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And for one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. As you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. For even love those who love you. What benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to other sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies, do good and lend. Expect nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you, the sons of the Most High God, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, just as your Father in heaven is merciful. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give freely, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. Then Jesus told them a parable. Can a blind man lead another blind man? Will they not both fall down? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be just like his teacher. 
Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your own eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck that is in your brother's eye. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from thistles. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces goodness. And the evil person, out of the evil treasure of his heart, produces only evil. For out of the abundance of his heart, his mouth speaks. So why do you call me Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against the house and could not shake it because it had been finely built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on a ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it collapsed and the ruin of the house was great. Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you, Max. Well, um, that is the sermon called the Sermon on the Plain. And that sermon is kind of in the book of Luke. That is where Jesus lays out the values that he has come to bring in the book of Luke. And we're in the book of Luke this week. And we're in the book of Luke next week. And then we're done with the book of Luke. And that might seem kind of confusing. I don't know. Um, but, but there's a really important reason for it. Um, you see this follower in the book of Acts. And Acts is written by the same guy who wrote Luke. Luke. Um, and, and Luke, when he wrote the book of Luke, he wrote that as part one. And when he wrote the book of Acts, he wrote Acts as part two of the same exact story. And, and what's interesting, when you open to the book of Acts, right at the beginning of Acts, Luke talks about the book of Luke, and he says, in my first volume, in, in my first volume, I, I told you about all the things that Jesus began to do and to teach. And, and that's an interesting phrasing, because the book of Luke shows us the virgin conception, the virgin birth, the life of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, the training up of the 12 disciples and others. The, the book of Luke also shows us the death, burial, resurrection, and, and ascension of Jesus, that seems like much more than a beginning. It, it seems like a completed story. And yet, Acts is part two of the same story about the continued works of Jesus. And, and so for these two weeks, we are going to look deeply and quickly, as quickly as we can, at some of the big themes in the book of Luke that will help inform us as we go into the book of Acts. And, and whether you're going to be involved this fall or you're just here today, I want to encourage you that, that the message of today is, in my mind, the most important message we can take from, from the Gospels and from how to live as followers of Christ. Um, the, the kingdom came, Jesus came to bring is an upside-down kingdom where it turns all the values of the world on their heads, where the greatest, the king, Jesus, died in the place of people who had nothing to offer him. And, and he did that so that they could be a part of his kingdom. And so the king made himself low so others could be lifted up. And, and so the kingdom's values are flipped upside down. 
the, the, the kingdom, the, the upside down, that's on purpose. Hopefully you see that. Our Thrive logo is an upside down tree um, where, where it, looks, it almost looks like the roots are hanging out up and the, the tree part, you don't know what to do with it. But, but the, the point of it is, is that, that, that thriving in the kingdom is an upside down value. Thriving in the kingdom that Jesus came to bring does not match the way we think we should do things. And this is so important. This is something that, that I just, I hope it hits you over the head a whole bunch today. Because something that we do really poorly as humans is we say, yes, I believe in all those things in the Bible. And then we try and fit them into our own worldviews. And the problem with that is as soon as we are using our own worldviews, we, we've turned everything back right side up and the things Jesus taught, we, we can no longer follow as well. This is a lifelong pursuit to be a part of the kingdom that Jesus came to bring. And, and so I had Max read that whole, that's what we're going to look at today. It's called the Sermon on the Plain. And it's actually just one big idea in, in three sections. Um, and, and I hope you'll see it. There's a whole lot going on in it, but there's just one big idea. And so we're going to look at that. And, and our goal today is to ask, are we members of this kingdom? And if we are, how are we living the values out that this kingdom calls us to live out? So let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are so good. We thank you that you offer us mercy and compassion, that you sent your son not to condemn but to save. We thank you that because of the resurrected king, we are invited to be a part of your kingdom. We, we pray today that anyone here who does not know you by the end of today would just recognize what it means to know and follow you and would turn to you. And we pray where those of us who follow you are blind and where we live in sin, that you would help us turn and return to you and follow after you well. We pray we would set aside the values of this world and instead choose to do acts of mercy and compassion the same way your son did. I pray above all else that your spirit would be speaking through me, that these would be your words, not mine, and you'd give us all ears to hear the message of your son. And we thank you that your name is great. And, and that you came here to, to give us an opportunity to follow you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So at the start of the sermon, Jesus says, or, and it says, and he lifted, Jesus lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, and we need to pause here because some people right away assume that disciples means the 12. And as Max read, we saw this is where the 12 are appointed. But Jesus doesn't just have 12 followers at this point in time. He has a great crowd, and they've watched him cast out demons and heal people. And, and so much, they saw in such great power in him that people thought, if I could just touch him, I would be healed. And, and so Jesus has been displaying this great power, and now he turns to his great crowd of disciples, not just the 12, the whole crowd, and he lays out for them the values of his kingdom. And before we jump in, um, I have to be a punk. Um, so so if you have an ESV Bible, um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to label verses 20 through 23, the Beatitudes. And then it's going to label verses 24 and down, Jesus pronounces woes. And there's a problem here. And it's a big problem. And it's a big enough problem for me to take time out of the sermon to address. The problem is, is that when you see this and see this, what do you do? You think, oh, unique idea one, unique idea two. If you're feeling far from the Lord, you maybe just read one little section. If you're trying to show the Lord you're following him well, this is what I did as a teenager, you maybe read two sections. 
And if you're feeling really far from the Lord, maybe you read a whole chapter. But the point is, is, that, is when we see these headings, they, they affect how we read a passage, right? Because we think, oh, idea one, idea two, idea three. And the problem with this is that when Luke wrote the book of Luke, he did not include those. In fact, he didn't include chapters or verses. And, and, and what happens when we do this is wrong, Hopefully you saw that already. What happens when we do this is we miss out on the fact that Luke 6, 20 through 26 are one big idea. And, and why this is so important, there's blessings and their woes. And, and the blessings, blessed are you who are poor, matches up with, but woe to you who are rich. Blessed are you who are hungry now, woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will... Do you see? Do you see? They, back and forth. That Jesus doesn't just bless certain people and then say, all right, now I got to talk negatively about other people. He says, here's a big idea for how you need to view the world. And so Jesus says, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man, Jesus. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. In the Old Testament, um, before Israel fell and they went into exile, um, we were in Ezekiel at the start of the year and we saw the coming and then the exile. And then in uh, the New Beginning series, we saw when the people were starting to come back. But, but before the people went into exile, the Lord sent prophet after prophet to say, hey, wake up follow me, turn back to me, return to me. And the people hated them. They beat them. They rejected them. They killed some of them. And Jesus is saying, when you're rejected on account of me, blessed are you just like those prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. And here we see the inversion, because when the people were rejecting the prophets of the Lord, they weren't just like, eh. Instead, they were finding prophets who were saying, you know what? You're Israelites. You're the sons of Abraham, daughters of Abraham. God is going to bless you. Be well. Do what you want. God is with you. Look at that beautiful temple. The, the, the false prophets were telling the people, just keep living how you're living. Basically, God's okay with whatever you do. And Jesus is saying, if you live in a way where everyone likes you and you claim to be a part of my kingdom, woe to you. Woe to you. If you claim Jesus and everyone likes you, you're doing a very bad job of following after Jesus. Now, right away, people go, there's some passages where it says, live well with everyone around you as best as you can. And so people hold that up in response. And the problem is that passage has nothing to do with witnessing for Jesus. That passage is about don't be a jerk. That passage is don't have a party at night at your house with speakers on blaring all night so that your neighbor's like, oh my gosh, just let me sleep. That passage is about living well so that there aren't distractions. So if people are going to hate you, it's going to be because of Jesus, not because of anything else. So we, we come to this, we've got blessings and we've got woes. And when it says blessed are the poor, the, the blessing is not talking in a strictly economic sense. It's talking about understanding a reality of the human 
space, the space that we occupy. And that reality is since the fall in the Garden of Eden, the richest human is poor in comparison to what we will have someday when we return to God. The the best riches of this earth are nothing compared to a relationship with God our Father. And, and, And further into that, the best things we could pursue in this life the source of all happiness, the source of all joy, the the source of true wealth as a person comes from the Lord. And so blessed are those who recognize our very real poverty in this life. That on this side of the grave, the best we can have is nothing compared to what we will have someday in the presence of God. Woe to those who think this is a life to have and celebrate our riches. You read the story of Solomon in Ecclesiastes and read what he did. And I promise he went to the logical end of everything you could ever do with wealth, with women, with power, with with everything. And at the end of all of it, he said, it's all vapor. If you had every rich, the end result of, of living that out is, well, that stinks. The, the blessings go on. Blessed are those who, for for those who recognize it is not a time for feasting. We're not living in the best place now. Woe to those who feast as if the kingdom is now. Blessed are those who mourn the state of the world, who look around and they can't help but weep when they see the news and when they see just everything going on in the world. Woe to those who laugh and try and enjoy everything and who just try and have blind eyes to what's going on. And blessed are those who are rejected for their association with Jesus. And woe to those with values matching the world. Because you see, that's what's at the heart of this. You're blessed. You're a a kingdom member. You are a part of the kingdom of God. If this world is going to reject you, this passage is the upside down kingdom. It's also called the great reversal. You see, in the day of Jesus, the, the Pharisees would have been those who were blessed by God in the eyes of everyone. They would have been moderately wealthy to wealthy, and and people would have seen the poor as those who God was not blessing, and the rich in this life as the ones God blessed. And Jesus comes and says, that's not it at all. This life pales in comparison to the life to come, and you're supposed to be my kingdom. You're supposed to be the people following me, and you're supposed to follow me in such a way that you reject this life as the best it will get. And, and you need to have that value. You need to recognize the very real poverty of, of this life. When you, when you watch, the, I don't know what people use to watch things. Um, I recently tried to use TikTok for like two weeks and then got exhausted by it. But when I was on it, like half the videos you see, and like Instagram, you see all these influencers who live these magical, amazing lives. And, and someone might think, wow, look how lucky they are. But really, look how impoverished humanity is. That's what we should be thinking. And we should be thinking, how do we turn people and point towards the kingdom of God? Because the best that this life offers is nothing compared to that. Luke 6, 20 through 26, it's the first big idea. Jesus introduces his kingdom that has upside down values. And, and I am going to put before you that, that, that 6, 27 through 38 is one big idea. And then 6, 39 through 49 is just one big idea. And that they're all just one really big idea altogether. Um, I hope you see it by the end, but I'm telling you now where we're headed because I know that that's a good teaching tool. So we go on, Luke 6, 27. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, 
offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. You know, when I lived in the city, um, Jess and I, um, you'd walk by homeless people who were begging all the time. And one of the things that we were told one time by some people is you never give them money. Because if you give them money, you don't know what they're going to spend it on. And I remember I struggled with that. And so what Jess and I would do is if we walked by someone who was asking us for something, we'd look for the nearest subway and try and feed them if we could, if we had money at the time. But, but um, what, what happened out of that is I lived in this weird guilt complex all the time of, well, I, I'm going to ignore them because I don't have the ability to buy them Subway right now, and, or there's no Subway nearby. And we always pick Subway. I don't know why. But, um, but what happened out of this is there was a day where um, one of my professors at Moody, we were talking, um, and I had just given money to someone, um, and I felt really guilty about it. Um, but it was a pregnant woman. Um, and, and I just, I was like, I, I don't think I could sleep tonight if I didn't do that. And I was talking to the Moody professor about it and kind of, I was confessing it like it was a sin. And he was like, well, I would hope if my wife was pregnant and begging, someone would give her money. And you can't control what she does with it. But, but the point is you can have compassion and mercy there. And, and, and the, the conversation here and do what unto others is as you would, I'm saying it backwards. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. The, the conversation here goes, goes deeper than that because the idea here is not what others do to you, do to them. The idea is not do nice to others so they will do nice to you. The idea is whatever you wish that they would do, whether or not they do it, do so to them. Do you see? It's not, it's not, I will do good to others if they will do good to me. That's the wrong message. Jesus goes on to say, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And I need to pause here. I'm not trying to pick on the ESV today, but that word benefit is a terrible translation. Um, Because when it says, what benefit is that to you? Let me tell you, when you love those who love you, I love Lucy, not the show, um, my daughter, Um, but but I love Lucy and she loves me. And when I say I love you and I like, she does it back and I get these warm, fuzzy feelings and that is so stinking beneficial for me. But the word behind this is actually the word credit. In fact, it shows up three times in a row, benefit, benefit, credit, but the Greek word is the same and it's just a bad translation because what this really says is if you love those who love you, what does that truly say about you? For even sinners love those who love them. Everyone loves everyone who loves them. It's easy. It's easy. If you love those who love you, you're just doing what everyone else does. What does that say about you? Nothing. Now, does that mean you shouldn't love those who love you? No, it just means that if that is your standard of I'm a good person, a kingdom person, a follower of Jesus, you have missed it. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what does that really say about you? Nothing. For even sinners do the same. Again, do good to those who do good to you, but recognize that that's just normal. That's just the way of things, and that's how people do things. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what does that really say about you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. What Jesus is saying here is if you follow the values of the world, good, you follow the values of the world. The world values the values of the world. I'm calling you to something different. 
Love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. Your reward will be great. In the, the first part, Jesus says, when people hate you on account of the Son of Man, your reward will be great. And now he says, when people hate you on account of the Son of Man, love them, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. And I cannot help but imagine when Jesus said, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil, that part of what we should read into that is he is talking to a crowd of people who are ungrateful and evil apart from what Jesus did by dying on the cross. I, on my own, am ungrateful and evil. You all, on your own, are sinners. You're ungrateful and you're evil. I'm a sinner too. I don't want to minimize my sin. But, but the point is, is that when Jesus says this, he is saying, look at, essentially, look what I'm doing for you. I love and the, and the most high loves, and he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. So do not miss that. Be merciful, even as your father is merciful. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Be merciful. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Be merciful. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Be merciful. Give, and it will be given to you. And it's not judge not, judge not, and then others won't judge you. It's judge not, show mercy, and God will not judge you. It's not condemn not, and others will not condemn you, and it's God will not condemn you. Be merciful as your Father is merciful. This last part is going to seem out there at first, but good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And to, <laughs> I don't know. Um, but then, then you read it and study it. Um, and and the, the, I'm going to try and explain this as fast as I can. So um, in, in the days of Jesus, if you needed flour or grain or different things, you'd show up to a merchant and you'd give them a set amount of money and um, you would have your cloak tunic thing, um, and, and they would measure into a container, and you'd hold out, and they'd literally just pour into your lap what they measured. And the imagery here is, okay, so there's like a way to like, you pour everything in the container, and then you just pour it out. And, and Jesus is saying, no, 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 don't live that way. Be merciful. And how you do that is you, you fill, if you're the merchant, you fill it, and then you shake it around, and you press it down, and you fill it again until it's full and overflowing. And that's what you pour out for others, because that's what you want the Father to pour out for you. So the second big idea is simply be merciful as your Father is merciful. And I know when I say that, the starting point is, well, okay, but, but what about all those things about love and doing good? And, and the, the big idea, and I know you can't read this, um, I know you can't read this at all, but I'm, I'm doing a color thing, um, and I hope at home that this shows up. If it doesn't, just sorry. Um, but, but so there's this idea of love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, and then, and then give to those who are, and, and then it goes on again. If you love those who love you, what benefit? And it's, it's trying to push, but at the heart of all of it is a conversation about acts of mercy. That's the big idea here, because when you love your enemies, you have the power to not love them, but what do you do? You need to love them. You need to show them an act of mercy. And when you can do good for others, regardless of how they respond, that's an act of mercy. And when you can give to those, regardless of what comes out of it, that is an act of mercy. And that is the big idea here. Be merciful as your Father is merciful. And I, I want to talk for a moment. Um, I don't know if you have not seen this. This is Julia Jackson. She's the mother of Jacob Blake, the man who was shot seven times in the back last week. And, and I, I, 
I'm not going to go into political commentary right now. I have a whole lot of thoughts, and I'm really sad about what I'm seeing in our nation. But what I want to tell you is this woman, the, the family had a press conference. And if you have time, go watch her whole speech, because it is the most phenomenal speech. And I'm just going to read one little part of it, because she had the opportunity to get up in front of a whole bunch of cameras, and she had the opportunity to say whatever she wanted. And I wondered if she would condemn the police. I wondered if she would condemn anything. But, but what she said and said, and, and I'm, I'm taking just a little piece of it, but I think it's, 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 it's such a beautiful speech. Take the time to watch it. But at one point in the speech, she says, to all the police officers, I'm praying for you and your families. To all of the citizens, my black and brown sisters and brothers, I'm praying for you. I believe that you are an intelligent being just like the rest of us. Everybody, let's use our hearts, our love, and our intelligence to work together to show the rest of the world how humans are supposed to treat each other. When she was given the microphone, she could have said whatever she wanted, and what she chose to do is implore people to live by upside-down values, the values that we're called to live by as followers of Jesus. And I say that with a lot of certainty, because if you listen to her whole speech, it is just laced with the gospel. And, and so she had an opportunity to say whatever she wanted. And you can believe one thing or another about that whole situation. But what I can tell you at the heart of it is that being merciful is praying for those that maybe people expect you to think of as enemies. And it's challenging everyone to live and love and live well together. Be merciful as your father is merciful. He goes on. He also told them a parable Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. Pause here. This is tied back to the blind man thing. So if the if the teacher is blind, the disciple at best will still be blind. So you got to remember that. And then we go on. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye. You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. Can the blind lead the bind? A teacher or a student is not above the teacher. Take the log out of your own eye first. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. Luke six thirty nine through 49 is one big idea. And that big idea is that a citizen is known by manifesting the king. If you are a citizen of the kingdom of God, you are going to start to look more and more like Jesus. You are not going to be a blind person leading the blind. Why? Because you know what? Jesus, the king, is not a blind man leading the blind. 
Jesus didn't come to earth and like fly by the seat of his tunic and say, I don't know what to do. Jesus had a plan from the start, and when he led the disciples, he led them with intention. And he moved them towards something because the king will fully train his disciples to be like him. That's what he did. In fact, the whole book of Acts, which we're about to, and I'm so excited for the fall curriculum, I just want to keep plugging it. But but besides that, the whole book of Acts is about how we see what Jesus did in Luke through the Holy Spirit, the followers of Jesus are doing today. That is the point of the book of Acts. And so the king is not a blind man, so his followers can't be blind if they are following him. The king fully trains his disciples to be like him. And so if we are his followers, and if he is the king, and if we are a part of his kingdom, we need to look more and more like him. The king does not tolerate hypocrisy. The king does not say, go work on others. The king says, work on yourself first. Be like me before you tell others how to be like me. The king is known by his excellent fruit. And I want to tell you, when you think about the ministry of Jesus, the fruit that came from his ministry, every single believer in the world today came from the seed, that, that just Jesus. That means he did a really, 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 really good job. And for you at home, really, really, really good job. The, the, the point here is that the ministry of Jesus produced fruit that produced fruit that produced fruit. And so if we follow after Jesus, that needs to be our mindset. And the king's foundation endures forever. When Jesus was on this earth, well, he was tempted and he refused and he glorified God. And we know that when he was facing crucifixion, he prayed and said, God, if there's any other way, but at the heart of that prayer was, but my foundation is you, Lord. And so he willingly went to the cross and could have spoken a word at any moment to stop that, but he didn't. A citizen is known by manifesting the king. If in your life you can't point to anywhere where you're looking more and more like Jesus and living more and more like Jesus, and and because of the way you're living, some people are maybe hating on you, and because of the way you're living, the, the values of the world seem less and less valuable. If you don't live in that way, I wonder, are you a citizen? And you may say, well, what does it look like to do this? This tells us what Jesus did. Well, it's really simple. The king loves, including his enemies. If that statement was not true, there would be no church. Because Jesus would not have ever come if he did not love us and extend mercy towards us, right? I mean, the, the Bible would end it, and they ate from the tree. That really, I mean, and, and so the king loves, including his enemies, and we were counted as his enemies before we started following him, and we cannot miss that. The king does good to all. The king gives to all without expecting return. Now you may say, well, then we don't have to do anything. No, that's wrong. And you know that's wrong. I don't even need to go into that. The king is merciful, just like his father. The story preceding this, and it's all the same story, but the story preceding this is is Jesus is in a synagogue on a Sabbath. And the Pharisees are watching him. And there's a man, I think it's a man with a withered hand. It might be a paralyzed, oh, oh. It's, Jesus does a healing, okay? And right before Jesus does the healing, all the Pharisees are like, oh, is he going to heal on the Sabbath? Oh, that's sinful. And Jesus looks at me, he's like, is it lawful to do good or evil on the Sabbath? You know why? Because Jesus is like, this is a time for mercy. And, And so Jesus heals. And then the Pharisees out of there are like, we must kill this man who does good on the Sabbath. 
That's really how they respond. But Jesus is merciful, just like his father is merciful. The, the big idea out of all of this, the way I would summarize it, is the kingdom of God is defined by radical acts of mercy and compassion that the king and those who follow him extend to those inside and outside the kingdom, and especially outside the kingdom. I pray that we continue loving the Kubaki family, the Egan family, and that we love the Heikis family well. But I pray that, that we are not just insulated in how we love, but that we love outside. I, I pray that we as a church are defined in this community by the way that we love others and the way that we extend mercy. I pray that our social media is full of compassion and mercy, not condemnation. I, I pray that so, so hard because I want people, when they think of us as a church and us as a people, I want them to think, I don't like them because of that Jesus guy. But they do love me. Because you know that whole idea of love your enemies, even when they don't love you, what credit is it to you if you only love those who love you? Well, if you start loving your enemies, well, you know who people can love? People who love them. Do you see? Do you see? Kind of. If you're loving people, it's easy to love people who love you. And so if you love those who are enemies, you're, you're inviting them to an opportunity to love you back. Do you see? And it's to do good to them and, 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 and to lend to them and give to them. The, the big idea of this is that radical acts of mercy and compassion are what we need to do in order to see the kingdom spread. That's, that's what we need to be known by. I have been struggling um, all week um, because I want to talk about things that I feel like as soon as I say words, half the audience is going to go one way, half the other. Or maybe a higher percentage one way, a higher percentage the other. I don't know. But I'm struggling because on Sunday night, a man is shot seven times in the back. And by Monday morning, everyone has entrenched themselves in their position, even though there's not that much information out there. And you are either a racist or a supporter of cops, and, or, or, you're, or you're a supporter of black people and you hate cops. And somehow there's no middle ground. And if you stand in a middle ground, you're, you're a terrible person. And, and, and this is the narrative that's happening. And this narrative is happening on every level. You either support everything said at the RNC or you hate everything said. You either support everything said at the DNC or you hate everything said at the DNC. And in most cases, I think there's nuance in there. I think there's a lot of nuance in there because you see, if you logically think about the values of the kingdom of God, and if you think logically about the Bible and about what God calls us to, one of the things that you have to come away with is that there is not a political structure, there is not a nation, there is not a movement of people outside the church that can bring about the kingdom of God. I hear people say things like, if our nation went back to our original values, and let me tell you, if we went back to our original values and followed them to the logical end, look at where we are. There is not a set, this is not me bashing on the United States. I am so grateful that I live somewhere where I can study God's word openly. I can preach openly. I do not fear fearful, feel fearful for my faith. But let me tell you, it is so important that we recognize that at the end of the day, the United States is not the kingdom come. As the church, we must understand this. We must not define ourselves by the things of this kingdom, or this earthly kingdom. 
This is so hard to talk about, too, because in the middle of this, I don't want to minimize things that are happening in our country. However you feel about systems of racism in our country, I will tell you, there are men walking on streets who claim to be, claim to be, willingly claim to be, without masks on, able to be identified by picture. There are men who claim to be white supremacists who say, our lives matter most. And that is wrong, and that is against the kingdom. And so I'm not saying with that, I'm okay with everything happening on the other side. I'm saying that I am disgusted that somewhere in this we can't have a nuanced conversation about racism is bad. Because if you say racism is bad, somehow you're saying cops are bad. But that's not what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is somewhere in the kingdom of God is a conversation about doing radical acts of mercy and compassion for people on both sides. As the church, that is what we are called to do. We are not called to stand on one side. Because if we stand on one side, the logical end of standing on that side is that we're not in the kingdom. The kingdom is a kingdom where the values are flipped upside down. I hear people talking about how they don't want the United States to be communist. And I love that because I think the United States being communist would be absolutely terrible. Do you know why? Because humans are reigning. But then I look at the picture of the church in Acts, and let me tell you, it's hard to find capitalism in that at all. In fact, it's pretty easy to find a, all of my possessions belong to the whole Bible. I'm going to sell what I have to lift others up, and it's easy to find that in the Bible. The Old Testament picture of the year of Jubilee is not a picture of capitalism. It's a picture of something radically different from anything this world offers because if we understand our poverty in this world and if we understand the wealth that we will have in the kingdom, we will not be threatened by whatever political structure we're in because we are following a different kingdom. I am an immigrant wherever I live because I'm a follower of Jesus. The kingdom I belong to is the kingdom of God. And if you are a Christian, that is what you should aspire to and be. That is what we are called to be. Now, this is not me saying vote a certain way or don't vote a certain way. This is not me saying, again, I don't want us to be communists. Every time I talk about this, I fear everyone's going to think I want us to be communists. It's me saying there's a little bit of value in communism about how we could share with each other that would be great if it wasn't humans who were in charge. That's the problem with it. And there's other values. Heaven will not be a democracy. Praise the Lord. Heaven will not be a democracy, and it'll be a monarchy. We have a king in heaven, the kingdom of God. And so, like, we need to just reconcile with that, and we're not going to want to pour tea into a harbor and rebel against the kingdom of God. We we need to recognize those things. And in that, what I want to challenge you to is radical acts of mercy and compassion. I don't know where you fall on whatever's happening in the news, but when you see the news, your response should not be, and and this is me, this is me confessing to doing this. When I watch the news, I, I heard about the Kenosha shooting the next morning, and the first thing I do is I watch the video and try and figure out who was in the wrong. And how stupid. First off, the video doesn't show the whole incident. It just shows the part of the incident that's going viral. And, and second, somewhere in there, what is it my job to do that? Instead, my job is to pray for those on both sides. And if there is a systemic problem in this story, which I don't know if there is or isn't, my job is still to pray and to have compassion for the people involved. And when I think of people as my enemies, that's a call, man, I really need to be loving them. Because if I'm not loving them, it's a sign that I'd rather have right-side-up values than the values Jesus came to bring. And, And so that is the challenge, church. We're not defined by who we vote for. We're defined by radical acts of mercy and compassion. 
We're not defined by what news channel we watch. We're not defined by any of that if we are doing radical acts of mercy and compassion. I do not care who you vote for. I do care that you inform yourself. And my challenge for you in this sermon is however informed you are on who you're going to vote for in November, before November, be 20% more informed, okay? 20%. And if you're like, I'm already 100%, then be 120%. Because I don't care who Christians vote for as long as they are praying and as long as they are considering and seeking out the Lord. And if they are doing that and if they are doing radical acts of mercy and compassion, then we're living the way we're called to live. And you may not agree with me on all of this, but please do radical acts of mercy and compassion. That is what we must be known by if we are to follow Jesus. The people who were most opposed to Jesus when he came were the religious. And it was a a lawyer, a a, a Pharisee, (laughs) an expert of the law, because a lawyer in their day was someone well-versed in Genesis through Deuteronomy. And in Luke 10, he talks to Jesus, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? He answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And the lawyer said to Jesus, you have answered, Jesus said to the lawyer, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. But the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, let me pause to say these Samaritans and Jews hated each other and loathed each other and couldn't even be in the same setting as each other without being declared unclean by their own values. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? The lawyer said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. Lord, Father, we thank you that you are merciful. We thank you that your son showed this mercy to we thank you at, that at the end of the day, we are able to follow you because of your love and your mercy, your grace. We, we thank you it's not by anything we've done, but it's because of your mercy and your love. And Lord, I pray right now for the church. I pray the world seems so divided, and it's so easy for conversations to quickly divide, even among those of us who are to be unified in you. But I pray, Lord, that we would be followers of your kingdom, that we would be citizens of your kingdom first, that we would set aside the things that prevent us from following after you, that we would do radical acts of mercy and compassion. I pray we would be known by the way we live out the values that your son lived out through the book of Luke. I pray that we would be known by the values that your church lived out in the book of Acts. 
And Lord, I, I pray that we would not be defined by things of this earth that when followed to their logical end do not lead to your kingdom. But instead, as the church, as your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, that we would be those who just through mercy and compassion love enemies until they become citizens of your kingdom. That we would do good to those who hate us until they love us. That we would lend to those who who won't give anything back until they lend the same way. I pray that this is how we would be defined as a body. I pray that we would reject the values of this world and instead follow after you. I pray we would follow you with conviction and that we would follow you with our whole hearts and that we would turn to you more and more and that we would look more and more like your son through our radical acts of mercy and compassion. We thank you that this is how you lived for us. We thank you that we can just have security because of the example you showed us when you were on this earth. And we thank you that through the death or your death and resurrection, we have hope for eternity. It's in your name we pray. Amen. As we close, I just, all I want to do is encourage you to go and do likewise.